Included podcast starts right now. And this is indeed the Asman and Budic Show podcast. I'm Jake Asman. As always, joined alongside Dan Budic. And Dan, great show in start as Kevin Harlan, the voice of the NBA on TNT, will be checking in, giving us a phone call to go over the NBA playoffs. And who better to talk about than a guy covering the NBA playoffs? Obviously, they're doing the broadcast. And we had Craig Sager Jr. on yesterday, and he was actually the announcer that sent it down to Craig Sager Jr. for the interview with Greg Popovich. Really emotional interview that we did with Craig Sager Jr. yesterday. It's going to be interesting to hear Kevin's thoughts on the type of person that Craig is, of course, his recovery. And honestly, the NBA playoffs have been really impressive so far. A lot of the road teams have played well early on. It's going to be interesting to talk to him about how the playoffs have, you know, how they've gone so far. Yeah, and we saw last night with just the Nets, that series tied up at one, a crazy Wizards-Bulls uh, game. The Wizards now tied one uh, up 2-0 on the Bulls, so it's been a crazy playoff so far. The Indiana Pacers tied 1-1. They tied the series up last night, but they haven't played well in a month and a half. What's Kevin's thoughts on that? I think they're a very interesting one seed, not playing very well. Absolutely, and we're going to get to it all with Kevin Harlan right after this. You are listening to the Asman and Butik Podcast on ICTV.org and on iTunes. Welcome back to the Asman and Butik Show, and joining us on the line right now is one of the voices of the NBA, TNT's Kevin Harlan. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Good to be on with you guys. Thanks for asking. Kevin, obviously, uh, the whole Craig Sager situation, obviously diagnosed with cancer. You were actually the announcer that sent it down to Craig Sager Jr. interviewing Greg Popovich. What was that whole experience like and that whole night like for uh, the NBA on TNT? Well, first of all, I had never seen the kid. I mean, I'd seen pictures because he played some college football at the Division II level, I think, and then walked on at Georgia. Um, And Craig had always talked about him, and the pictures that he always showed me were when he was much smaller. So when he walked in the room, my first, oh, my gosh, Clay Matthews of the Packers. (laughs) And... um, Nice kid, uh, obviously has the personality of his dad, a sharp boy, and uh, brave to come on national TV like that, represent his dad, and all the things that Craig uh, has, has put out there over the years, including his wardrobe, and then tried to play off that, and then was on national TV interviewing, as it turns out, the NBA Coach of the Year and Greg Popovich, where Craig has probably made uh, the most uh, uh, ripples in terms of of these in-game interviews with coaches and he was terrific and the response from Popovich was great it was a wonderful moment I think someone put it up on YouTube I think Turner did and it's gotten uh, hundreds of thousands of hits so it's it was a very nice very nice moment but the really you know and ironically enough it was his son that put the tweet out there in social media world about his dad undergoing um chemotherapy and treatment for acute leukemia. So uh, his son has kind of been a part of this story from the very beginning, but it was great to have him out on the road and typical of, of Turner Broadcasting to, uh, you know, make a, a, a nice story out of this that uh, the people can, I think uh, most of us have been touched by cancer in one way or another and uh, certainly could relate. So it was a very, very nice story. And, and hopefully in the, in the case of Craig, and I have no doubt it will, it'll have a very happy ending. Now, Kevin, what does Craig mean to the TNT crew and the rest of the NBA community? Well, you know, in a world of, of kind of anonymous, same-sounding, same-looking uh, type of on-air people, especially with the 
proliferation of cable television and regional networks and conference networks and uh, professional sport networks, he stands out because he's kind of grabbed a very unique style with his dress. Uh, he's immensely qualified to do what he does. He's been in the business for 30-plus years, um, and he has taken uh, maybe even a page out of the the late, great Haywood Hale Brune um, uh, way of presenting a story with a colorful and kind of a seismic uh, look on, on camera. And uh, he has taken it to the next level, and uh, that has been his niche. And what has been great is that, you know, when you try to sort your way, through, like I said, through all the hundreds of people that are out there delivering sports and news, uh, you know exactly who he is. And he has taken it and almost uh, developed his own personal little industry with uh, features in fashion magazines. And uh, it, it's as you can see with the outpouring, people know who he is. And I think um, that that's a very unique uh, skill to have. He's done a great job in promoting that in the the, the Turner family has done a great job of enhancing that. So together, it's it's been a very successful enterprise. Talking a little bit about Greg Popovich, were you surprised, Kevin, that he was M- NBA Coach of the Year? Well, there are certainly others out there. I mean, Tom Thibodeau, what he's done in Chicago without Rose, and what many people would say after the first five or six guys is a pretty ordinary group has done a magnificent job. Dwayne Casey in Toronto, terrific. Jaeger with Charlotte. I mean, you can go right. Hornacek with Phoenix. Um, Terry Stotts with the Portland Trailblazers, incorporating Robin Lopez. I mean, we've seen great coaching this year. We've also seen some god-awful coaching. But, <laughs> but Popovich, I guess, I think this is his third. And uh, the things that stand out about what he had done this past year uh, to me are threefold. Number one, he was able to resuscitate his players to the point where when they showed up in October, they wiped last year's catastrophic collapse against Miami away. And that took a lot of a lot of maneuvering on the part of the coach, psychologically, physically, on the floor, off the floor, in the rooms, on the on the road. I mean it was just it, it was it, that in itself to get the team to play like that was great. And then um, to return all 12 guys, including all five starters, and have them uh, able to beat those demons and the, the, the horrible memory of losing. And really, they, they were the champions. They had the, they had the trophy in their hands, and then they released it. They gave it away. And that's what sticks with them most. So that right there, combating that throughout the season, which he's done. Secondly, um, they had a horrific injury spate where they had to navigate January and February uh, at various times, but through the body of those two months uh, without some key players or guys that were not 100%. And they did it uh, by winning 16 or 17 games and losing uh, seven or eight. So he was he was masterful in the way he was able to traverse that very, very difficult time and stay relevant. They win uh, over 60 games this year, uh, the only team in the league to do that, by everybody on their team from tip to tail, player one through player 13, uh, averaging less than 30 minutes a game. It's never happened before in an 82-game regular season schedule in the NBA. No one averaged 30 minutes. And 
those three things, I think, make him stand out to me as, as the coach of the year. He was, he was magnificent in how he dealt with all three. This is the Asman and Budic podcast, and we are joined by the NBA on TNT's Kevin Harlan. And, Kevin, we thank you again for taking a few minutes out of your day to join us. And you're, we're talking here about Coach Popovich. How tough do you think it is for any coach to year in and year out have a team competitive, compete for a championship? And you mentioned Coach, coach Pop putting the team back together after a collapse last year. You mentioned it against the, against the champion Miami Heat. How tough is that, do you think, for any coach to do, put a team out there competitive game in and game out, year in and year out? Well, I think uh, you know you you say it with that phrase year in and year out, and that that nails it. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's it's a consistency. It, it's a it's a incredible work ethic, obviously, attention to detail, and uh, two things, and they sound opposite, and they are actually sticking with what you believe in your own mind are the principles of how you should play in the NBA, but secondly, with a incredible focus and relevance to change if change is needed and to see that change and not resist that change uh, and maybe as an adjunct to that to put your players that you've got in the right kind of position knowing the time knowing the setting to insert or take out a player you know those are skills and that's feel and that's an innate ability that you sometimes cannot teach and he has got that. He's got such a wonderful feel for those sets of circumstances. But in the bigger picture, you know, to know when maybe you cannot win a championship on defense alone, that you've got to speed up the ball and you've got the parts to do it. You've got a Tony Parker. You've got wings that can fly down the sideline. And he was able to do that and still incorporate Tim Duncan as he aged year after year, season after season, and make him still a very you know important part, if not the centerpiece of that whole drive. So, um, you know, he believes in what he believes in. He's not reluctant to change, and he still um, is able to go from uh, setting to setting, uh, as you really would get specific, from game to game, quarter to quarter, situation to situation, when to maybe tweak or change something. It's uh, it's it's uh, incredible the way he has the the sight to do that uh, mentally and and then certainly to convey that to his to his players. Now, Kevin, obviously sticking with coaching, your broadcast partner Steve Kerr has been you know considered a possible candidate for the Knicks coaching position. What have you heard about that, and do you think that Steve Kerr would be a good fit for the Knicks? Well, I have not heard. I've heard exactly what you've heard and what I read. Um, I just worked with Steve last week, actually, and. Um, uh, we had some dinner after the game down in down in Dallas after the Spurs and Mavericks game late in the regular season for Turner. And, um, you know, it's obviously something that he's thinking about. And uh, as a friend, I was not going to pry into his mind, and I'm glad I didn't. We'd all like to pry into, you know, what's going on. I think the, the message will be sent here pretty soon. Sounds like, in fact, uh, as we're speaking, Phil Jackson is butting heads with the ownership that just days ago gave him, unle- uh, you know, uh, an unbridled uh, approach. He could do anything he wanted to do basketball-wise. Now he's trying to make some changes, and I guess there's a little bit of resistance. So typical Knicks, you know, they say one thing and they typical do another. Typical Dolan, and yep. Yeah, and typical James Dolan, exactly. So so they've obviously got some inherent issues there they're going to have to uh, have to get over and and Steve I'm sure is watching all this with a lot of 
you know, a lot of thought. You know, does, do I want to do that? Now, he lives in San Diego with his family. He's got a son who's a senior in high school who I think is looking at some East Coast schools. Um, he's got a daughter who plays at a Pac-12 school, and he has a son who plays uh, some college basketball at uh, at San Diego. So he is a West Coast kid, uh, but I don't think at this stage, especially as they are soon to be empty nesters, if he has any, you know, gigantic issue in front of him, except, you know, what will it be like? What will the environment be like? How will I be able to coach? How much interaction am I going to have with Phil? Obviously, he wants to have that interaction because he'll be a first-time head coach, um, but he is a brilliant guy who um, has a great deal of character and relates well to people and incredible communicative skills. And, and that, to me, is the most important thing almost. How do you communicate your message? Are you able to communicate it in a way that is fresh and relevant to today's players? I think he can. In fact, I know he can. So it may be his job for the taking, but at the same time, it seems hour by hour there there are there are you know a different views being sent out from the Knicks about what's going on and how it's going to be calculated, and and I think that makes this a continuing story for everybody. You talked a little about just before about how he's a West Coast type of guy. This brings me to my next question: Mark Jackson's the type of guy who might not make it if the if the Warriors are passed out in the first round. Is that an option for Steve Kerr? Well, it might be, and that's a very talented team with a great roster, but I think it'd be premature to think of Jackson in any other terms of a guy that would be getting a contract extension. Um, Hard to really understand. There's been a little bit of turbulence on that assistant coaching staff. Uh, One guy who was signed was let go a while ago, and he was not a higher mark. He agreed to hire Brian Scalabrini, but he was not a guy that he would have chosen, but the management insisted that he'd be on that staff, and thus he was, but issues arose. And then there was another uh, guy that they just let go here recently. And so, you know, I don't know. That's never good uh, when that happens, and it has. And uh, Jason Kidd even had to go through that early in the season with Lawrence Frank, take him off the bench and put him in a, in a front office and hidden role. I don't know um, the situation well enough to really get into that. And I know that, that they do respond to Mark. And just, you know, typical uh, – there are different posts along that road uh, that you've got to read. And, you know, one of the signs is how is the team responding to Mark? Well, there have been two instances here in the last oh, three, four weeks, which shows that the team, the players, the guys that he deals with literally every hour of every day, game day or non-game day, you know, reflects how they feel about him. Um, one was a, a birthday that, that – he was celebrating and didn't tell anybody, and they were on the road, and one of the players had T-shirts uh, for a shoot-around one morning away from the Bay Area that read, Happy Birthday, Coach, We Love You, or something to that effect. And um, Mark was stunned when he saw it, and every guy out there was wearing it during the shoot-around uh, the morning of a game. And then just recently, on Easter Sunday, they were in Los Angeles, and Mark, as some people may know, but others may not, is an ordained minister. And uh, he preaches when he can, physically, when he can, every Sunday at his church that he runs with his wife um, in L.A. And being a day of, of uh, uh, religion, uh, Easter Sunday, a day of holiness, he uh, was going to do that and had only sent out, he told us this just the other night, he sent out a message to the team. Number one, there's a bus to church for anybody that wants to go at a certain time, and the bus for the game leaves at this time. And that's it. He didn't say he was preaching. He didn't say really even what church it was. He just said, uh, on, on Easter Sunday, there's a bus for church. 
Well, the players, you know, on their own decided that, uh, that they were going to go to church when they found out that it was Mark's church and that he was going to preach. And so I think uh, seven or eight players and many staff members that were on this playoff trip to Los Angeles jumped on the bus, and he was stunned when he saw them. And he said tears were flowing throughout the, throughout the, the time that he was uh, uh, delivering his sermon. And, um, no, I, th- I think that you've got to, as management, you've got to get out of the way. And, unfortunately, they've got a guy at scene who's a first-time pro sports owner that is trying to manage this like a business. And anyone that knows pro sports knows you cannot manage it like a business. It is a different animal. With uh, with more human emotion involved, probably than your normal business, and that's got to be you know, sometimes your compass. It's got to be your guiding factor, and and uh, we'll find out what happens. But um, I don't think Steve would um, would say anything much like he did with Mike Woodson when he was still the coach of the Knicks and then was let go. Steve didn't say one thing about that job until Woodson was officially released, and when he was, we've begun to see just a smattering of comments regarding the Knicks job. Uh, I can't believe the Warriors will be stupid enough to let Mark Jackson go. I think Mark is a first-time head coach, learning on the move, only his third year, and they won, you know, 50 games for the first time in decades. So it would be it'd be folly to think that that there's going to be a change there. And we're talking with TNT's Kevin Harlan. And Kevin, look when you look at this Indiana Pacers team getting on to the East Coast side of things. What's been the biggest difference between the Pacers' play? Early on in the season, they looked like one of the best teams in the NBA, a team that could really challenge the Miami Heat this season. And now they lose game one on the road. Uh, excuse me, they lose game one at home to the Atlanta Hawks, and they struggled in game two just to win and beat the Hawks to tie the series up at one. What have you seen? Well, Hawks are probably better than we all give them credit for. Um, they've had a long run of, of getting in the playoffs, actually. It's been five, six consecutive years. So they're better, and they've always proven to be a tough matchup. In fact, I think before this February, Indiana had not won in Atlanta like in 11 consecutive games, and then they finally broke through and won a game this past February in Atlanta. So they're a tough opponent for whatever reason. The matchups just aren't all that good for the Pacers, number one. And so I think that uh, that, that is playing a role into how close this series is appearing. And, and we, we saw certainly in game one and then last night or game two, we, we saw that it was a, there was some distance between the two teams, especially in the second half. But uh, if you listen to media reports and look at social media, you'll find that there's a lot of rumor and innuendo going on out there. And, and for that, I cannot comment because I don't know. But there's no doubt that uh, so much rests with Roy Hibbert, their center, and with um, Paul George. And it seems like both have been a little bit off of course. So getting them back and aligned will be important. Looked like George did that in game two. We'll find out about Hibbert, who... Um, you know, is a little bit of a, a freestyler himself. He's, he's kind of a, a free spirit and says some wacky stuff and did it last year in the series against the Knicks, which I covered, and uh, he's a little bit out there. So I don't know really how to take him, and I just know that as a big man with all that talent around and not kind of a conventional point guard situation, uh, that they've got to play perhaps a little bit differently. But maybe last uh, the, the second game, uh, which was won handily by the Pacers, is more reflective of how they are, more reflective of how they played in November and uh, December and January than what we saw in late February, March, and, and into April. So let's, uh, for their sake, hope that it's 
it's turned around. And, you know, they, they let go of Danny Granger and traded him to Philadelphia. They subsequently released him, and he was free. And then he signed with Doc Rivers and the Clippers, and they got Evan Turner. Well, people know in the league that Evan Turner needs the ball to be successful or to be effective. And uh, that just, again, takes it out of the hands of other guys that had already kind of established themselves. So I'm sure there were some growing pains right there and never minimize what Granger who's now at the Clippers, uh, meant to that team. He was a longtime pacer. He was respected in that locker room. Locker rooms are incredibly fragile, and uh, that is a young, impressionable team, and Granger was a, was a seasoned voice, and uh, for whatever reason, they, they decided to go in another direction, and I think they had to pay consequences, and I think they still are to some degree. Kevin, last question before we let you go. The, new, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, I should say, put this team together to really compete in the playoffs and try to go far in the playoffs. They're tied 1-1 right now with the Toronto Raptors. How far do you think they can realistically go? Well, we'll see if they kind of get their, their rhythm here. You know, that series is tied at 1, and uh, Toronto is incredibly athletic. And I think Very fearless. I, I really think that they are uh, a team that is, that is so long and so athletic, and, uh, and people really don't know much about them. They don't know about DeMar DeRozan and – um, and the various players they've got on that team, but uh, but they can fly, and I think that's going to be um, you know kind of their opening to the North American audience more than anything else. Brooklyn is a team that uh, that was built for the playoffs. It was not built for the regular season. It was not built for three games and four nights, five and seven. It was not built for that, and and people knew that. So the regular season was not going to be very impressive. But what they do have is a lot of guile, and they've got guys that will be able to rest in the playoff format there's time between games and that's going to serve them very very well um i believe that they will uh figure out a way to uh to to make this thing work charles barkley i know has picked toronto and i can't disagree with that but something tells me that the uh, that even even in an older stage of their careers guys like pierce and garnett will have a positive effect on that team and and really the key for me is darren williams darren williams has got to play like one of the premier point guards in the nba and as long as he does that uh, i think that team will be in good stead uh, otherwise uh, it's going to be a rough road and it's going to be a long series and and uh, i know that they don't want a lot of games they want to get out of that thing and, and exit in a hurry with a win and move on to the second round we'll see if toronto is going to allow that toronto as we're, as we're seeing already a pretty feisty ball club Kevin, thank you so much for a couple minutes out of your day. We appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Great talking to you. Take care. Special thanks again to TNT's Kevin Harlan for calling into the show. It was great to talk about it. He made a couple interesting points. Obviously, his relationship with Steve Kerr is very interesting due to the fact that, as we talked about with Kevin, Kerr is a likely candidate for the Knicks position. Some say he's the favorite to get the job. The Knicks are obviously going to hire a coach. But, of course, news came out today that James Dolan is already interfering with personnel decisions that Phil Jackson wanted to make. What else is new? We talked about it when Phil Jackson was hired. When is James Dolan going to step in, and when are we going to see the Dolan madness that we've seen over the last 10 years? It really is terrible, and you almost you feel for the Nick fan. You feel for us. You feel for the Nick fan base and the organization. Just you know, poor ownership, and this is— haunted them the last 15 years. So special thanks again to Kevin Harlan for joining us. That's going to do it for us. This has been another edition of the Azrin and Budic Show podcast. Thank you for listening to the Azrin and Budic podcast. Make sure you go on to iTunes and subscribe to the show.